Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, Tom Luongo returns to the show. Tom's a former research chemist. He's an amateur dairy goat farmer, a narco-libertarian, but most importantly to us, he is an expert at geopolitical analysis and how geopolitical events relate to financial markets. He writes and hosts the Gold Goats and Guns podcast and blog. And you'll also find Tom's writing reprinted at the Libertarian Institute, lourockwell.com, as well as many nationally known websites. So Tom, so glad to have you back. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tom, how are you? It's good to, it's good to be here. Since we emailed each other to set up this little chat, so much has happened on the geopolitical stage that I, I don't even know where to begin. But I promise my listeners, actually, and myself, <laughs> that we would try to get into just for a few minutes how the reverse repo market works. Now, you've been screaming about this for a year and saying that it's part of Jay Powell's plan to try to get control of the U.S. money supply back from Europe. Right. But I, I want to know exactly how it works. The technical understanding, a repo as opposed to a reverse repo, is where a bank might need cash overnight. Yep. And they pledge a security and they go get cash. And a reverse repo is the exact opposite. And the reverse repo is the exact opposite. Where they needed the treasury and they have cash. And this is what I want to get into. Is that the motivation that the bank needs the treasury? Obviously, the Federal Reserve doesn't need the cash. Yeah, the bank needed the treasury. And why do they need a treasury? They need a treasury because the savings rate in the United States during COVID hit 33%. And your savings are a bank's liability. And they couldn't go out into the market and take that, take that savings and go buy loans with it or go sell loans with it. And where you buy a loan because no one was taking out a loan because everybody was locked down. So they had to go grab treasuries to put as collateral on their balance sheet to offset their liabilities. Normally, the bank will take your savings in and then issue a loan, which is its asset and your savings is its liability. Right? It's exactly the opposite of your personal balance sheet, where the loan is your liability and your income is your assets and your cash is your asset. So you pledge cash, you know. So 
The bank is the exact. So the reverse repo facility was a mean, is a means by which the Fed can stuff the banks full of collateral if they need. So if they're flush with cash. So we handed the banks a whole bunch of cash and then they immediately repo, reverse repoed that back to get collateral. We stuffed the, the banks with cash because of, of COVID money printing and the CARES Act and all this other stuff, right? That money was immediately not transmitted into the economy to create new loans. It got effectively sterilized by having the Fed, by buying a reverse repo contract with the Fed and keeping an outstanding balance, offsetting these, the, these, uh, these cash balances. Now, the situation has morphed and changed since then, but the basic concept is still the same, right? The, the banks are willing, are, are rather, would rather take five basis points over the Fed funds rate, right? As opposed to lend the money out, okay, that they've got. Moreover, American banks refused, starting in 2019, refused to take European debt as collateral. So they couldn't go to the repo market where they couldn't go to the, they, the, the European banks were like, well, we've got Euro bonds. I've got Italian BTPs. And they're like, no, I got German bonds. Like, no, we wanted U.S. treasuries and only U.S. treasuries. Okay. Because they wanted dollars and you know, the European banks wanted dollars and the American banks wouldn't give it to them. So if the European banks can't get access to dollars through repoing their Euro bonds into the American debt markets, then they can't then turn around and issue loans denominated in dollars, which create euro dollars offshore dollars which would then they can then multiply the fed's balance sheet through credit dollars like jeff snyder formerly of Lumber partners and he's now moved on because this basic concept of of the situation has apparently gotten him very angry because you know my arguments here have like actually He's been challenged over his euro dollar thesis, but for years, Jeff was the only one screaming in the wilderness that the euro dollar system is actually what's in control of Fed monetary policy, because the offshore dollar system through bank loans, the offshore bank loans has far greater ability to create credit dollars than the Fed can directly through the discount window. Okay, they're creating. I mean, European banks and Hong Kong banks and Indian banks—they're creating far more dollars with their dollars they have on reserve and they're lending back out again in the euro dollar system than the Fed could ever create through a direct access to the discount window. So the Fed really, and Snyder's argument, and he wasn't wrong about this, is that the Fed never had, hasn't had control over its own monetary policy since the 1950s. And when all of that debt, and when all of that debt is being issued relative to LIBOR, which is a consortium of European banks setting the interest rates benchmark for all of this debt, then the European banking system has control, complete control over American monetary policy. U.S. debt no longer has that in, no longer has that requirement because now it's all indexed to the secured overnight funding rate or otherwise known as SOFR. Right. Starting in 2022, all new debt in the United States will be issued as indexed to SOFR. And any legacy debt that's still out there is being has most of it has already been swapped over to SOFR. And anything that's left, the Fed is and JP Morgan and others are absolutely telling dudes, make the switch and do it now. There's no better time to do so because at the end of like the middle of like 2023, you won't be able to. 
and it will be forced upon you. So do it now while spreads are low, premiums are low, and there's plenty of liquidity. But at some point, your LIBOR debt is going to be illiquid. There will be no market for you to be able to swap this debt and re-index it. So you're going to have to move. They've got a year. Okay. I was listening to a great podcast on, on, from a bunch of guys over at JP Morgan explaining this, trying to get their their you get their their clients to understand that now is the time to get this done and this is fed policy so once you've broken the link between the euro dollar markets index to libor and the us banking system and you've broken that link because when the libor broke would, would bust out overseas because the fed started raising rates and the european banks got into trouble okay libor would blow out to the upside and then all of the debt in the United States would then be re-indexed to LIBOR. So every variable variable rate interest loan, every credit card is all indexed to LIBOR. So all of a sudden, your king lock, which was 2%, is now you get the statement next month to 6%. But your bank is isn't has plenty of reserves. Your, your bank's not in trouble. But because it's indexed to LIBOR and because BNT, BNP Paribas or Santessa and uh, uh, Tesla San Paulo is in trouble. You have to bear the brunt of it and you have to pay for it. That's the thing that has changed. All right. Well, I got that. Two follow-ups to this. One, excess reserves went up after the CARES Act and the, the money explosion you talked about, about $1.6 Why, if you're a U.S. bank, do you just not park your money there and get the interest there? Why do you go to the repo market instead? Because he raised the rate above IOER. So you get more at the repo market. Yeah. Or because those reserves aren't actually yours, right? Like, I mean, you can, you can do this. I mean, it's like there's a certain amount that they can do some, they can do some things through excess reserves. They can do other things through the reverse repo facility. But the big thing here is that the reverse repo facility and the foreign repo facility. So Eurobond, Eurobanks couldn't, had no control, had no access to anything, no access to, to, to the American markets after. And so in June of last year, they, he expanded, he raised the rate on the reverse repo contract, the reverse repo that he paid. The next Fed meeting at the July meeting, so the equivalent to the one that's coming up, they opened up a foreign repo facility to allow foreign banks to come in and get and repo their, their treasuries back to the Fed. So now all of a sudden, the Fed has control of the euro dollar markets coming and going, and it all goes through the Federal Reserve because you've got foreign repos sending cash into the United States, you know, sending cash and sending, sending foreign debt into the United States and cash out. But he has control over the rate completely. Powell has the tools now. So, so one of the problems that a lot of mainstream analysts are having, and they're all saying the same thing, Powell can't do, the, you know, this isn't the same crisis as it was in 2008. And because it's not the same crisis, he can't respond to it the same way. I'm like, yeah, he's not. He's got different tools for this. He's built different tools for this. He has SOFR, the reverse repo facility, and the foreign repo facility. He's got different tools with which to play with than Bernanke had back in 2008. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here at Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts a couple of ways by going to tommullentalksfreedom.com slash support. 
You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts of every episode as well as access to my members-only MeWe group or become an all-access patron and get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos. You can even become a VIP patron to get all of that plus a free copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there, and you can find links to all of the above at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now, let's get back to our episode. Moreover, Bernanke was a globalist working for everybody else, along with Mama Yellen. It was Powell, who's very clearly not a globalist. And he has the tools to deal with this crisis, which is a European sovereign debt crisis that he is engendering by raising interest rates aggressively. And they're going to raise interest rates aggressively next or whenever the, the next Fed meeting is, a week, week and a half. Right. And you can see this if you chart SOFR versus one month. SOFR versus one month LIBOR, the spread between the two is acting as a magnet to where the market is having the handicap. The European debt markets are having the handicap where the, where the Fed's going to go. And I've done this now for the last you know, four Fed meetings or three Fed meetings. When they raised 25 basis points in what, March? March or April, whenever it was, at the March meeting. Yeah, March meeting. They uh, The spread between SOFR and one-month LIBOR was 15 basis points. So the market was not even expecting the Fed to raise 25 basis points because the spread was still only 15. Now, it had risen from minus 40, where LIBOR was actually lower than SOFR. Now SOFR is lower than LIBOR. When we get to the next Fed meeting and everybody was expecting the Fed to raise 50 basis points, the spread went to 53 basis points. So there it is. The market was anticipating that the Fed was going to raise 50 basis points. We got there like two days before the friggin' Fed meeting, and then the spread collapsed to six basis points afterwards because it's supposed to, because the Fed raised interest rates by 50 basis points, thereby taking SOFR up by 50 basis points. LIBOR didn't move. It's just math. Right. The, the June meeting, the market sat there saying, ah, oh, 25, maybe 50, maybe 50 in the last four days before. The, the Fed meeting, the, the LIBOR SOFR rate spread blew out 40 basis points in four days to reach 82 basis points on the day of the Fed meeting. So the spread's getting wider. Now the spread's getting wider relative to the anticipated rate hike. So first it was minus 10 basis points. Then it was three basis points. Now it's seven basis points. Is it going to be 20 basis points next week? Well, I can tell you, what I can tell you is that since the 75 basis points spread, hike in, in June, the markets has the live, they've been desperately trying to m- manufacture this idea that the Fed's not going to raise by 75 basis points. They held LIBOR down while, you know, 
they 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 kept holding the spread down like 15, 18 basis points for way too freaking long. And then it jumped up to 25 and then it fell down to 20 or 28 and then jumped down to four to, to, to 25. And in the last three days, it's gone from 25 basis points to 42 basis points. Well on its way to 70 right now. And so we can see what's going on. But we've also had this massive, massive intervention by the ECB to hold try to hold European bond spreads relative to US debt like static. Like I've been watching the German 10-year, the US 10-year spread for a while now, waiting for that to finally really collapse. And since the last Fed meeting, when the ECB announced that they would be doing this like new QE where they would sell German debt to buy Italian debt in order to try and keep the spreads in line to keep everything from melting down, that was them capitulating completely. And this is part of the reason why Olaf Scholz is in hot water over in Germany when they're going to nuts and sluts him out of office and just give the country over to the Greens. They're selling the German people out. They're going to make them pay to bail out everything and destroy their economy and deindustrialize them at the same time. All of this is happening right now. And LIBOR, the LIBOR panel is desperately trying to hold the spread between it and SOFR. SOFR's not moving. SOFR's five basis points over the Fed, three basis points over the Fed's Fed funds rate. It's nothing. There's no stress in the, the American banking system at all. As a matter of fact, the aggregate Fed stress indicator, and you can find that on the, the Fed's website, they've got a you know banking stress indicator, is at an all-time low. Debt servicing as a function of as a as a percentage of GDP in the United States, even at this level, is at an all-time low. We got plenty of room for the Fed to raise rates. And so no one wants to admit because they're all stuck in an old paradigm about what's going on here. And they're, they're stuck in their stupid Keynesian model paradigm that the Fed responds to domestic data in order to carry out domestic monetary policy. Nonsense. As Jeff Snyder rightly pointed out for years, the Fed has always responded to global dollar banking stress, not American banking stress. In fact, Global dollar banking stress has always created domestic banking stress here in the United States, which then forces the Fed to pivot and reverse. That's the argument. And it's a very valid one. It's a very powerful one. And I followed Snyder over to Lumber Partners for years because of it. And he explained it to me and I, and I got it. And then I'm like, huh, that's not working that way anymore. And then I had a patron literally come out of the blue and start talking to me about SOFA. And he and I were just chatting behind the scenes. And then he like dumped some of this on me. I'm like, Dude, you know what this means, don't you? And he's like, I think. And then we like hashed it all out and I wrote about it. I like, and now, and now it's just coming, it's just obvious. And you can see it very obvious. And you can also see, by the way, which banks are in are still in bed with the globalists in the United in, in the among the New York boys, and which ones aren't. And I've said from the beginning, I've never thought that Jamie Dimon over JP Morgan would be willing to sell out that company to a bunch of German Malthusian eugenicists. <laughs> never, bought, never bought it. And guess what? JP Morgan is right now in the worst. Merrick Garland has opened up the worst lawsuit against them for rigging the gold and silver markets. JP Morgan is also under attack on some other vector. I just saw the other day. I'm like, look, it's all happening right here, right now. They're going after Morgan. While Morgan's analysts are all telling you that they're trying to crash the price of oil, just like they said at the G7, that they want to cap the price of Russian oil to hurt Vladimir Putin. So now they're trying to push oil prices low for the midterms against the will of the market 
to try and one craft the narrative that Putin is going to be in trouble when the ruble goes back to 85 or 90 or whatever versus the dollar and that Joe Biden solved the oil crisis, the, the gasoline crisis, which he created. Like and and to, and to try and quell the, the 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 political unrest in Europe over high energy prices as well, but only temporarily. That's what's going on, guys. Last technical point on this repo thing, and that is okay. So the reason, and we'll post a link to the St. Louis Fed chart for this. The reason that the balance goes up is because the Fed is, even though I'm buying or I'm yeah I'm selling a treasury and then I'm buying it back overnight they're just providing enough that it's just they're just rolling the guys are just rolling the contracts over every day just keep rolling it over fast enough where you're ahead of the curve now they're not all remember they're not all overnight debt some of them are seven days some of them are 14 it's an aggregate the number you see is an aggregate of the outstanding balance on any given day and what you and this is sterilized qe guys it's just a different version of it i think that's a great word sterilized but i what i wanted to get to was the assets on the Fed's balance sheet, those are the things that are being sold overnight and bought back. But we never see that activity. But we do see this big pile of money on the other side. Now, that's coming off the asset side of the bank's balance sheets, but they don't have any cash reserves anymore, right? No, they. Ha- I mean, if they need them, they can go get them. They just go and just cancel the repo con- the reverse repo contract and get the cash back. No, I guess what I'm saying is it seems like this either got to come out of excess reserves or it's got to come out of the money supply. Sure. It's but it's it, well, well no I mean remember yeah I, yeah it's, it, and that's what's going to happen so okay well it's going to stay in the sterilized QE environment for as long as it needs to until the people need the money and we don't we're flush with dollars we don't need more dollars that's not our problem we've got eight percent inflation chasing no goods right right we don't need money we're like we have so much money we don't know to do with it all so we've parked six trillion of it in excess reserves in the reverse repo facility. Like, and that's, and it's a time bomb. It's a time bomb. Don't get me wrong. It's a time bomb, but the time bomb comes, the time bomb happens when Europe implodes and all the money leaves Europe. Where's that money? What's that money going to do? Oh, it's going to buy a whole lot of treasury debt. That's what it's going to do. And it's going to do so at four or 5%. It's going to be happy to buy it at 4%. And then, I mean, and look, it doesn't, it's not saying that it's like, it's not, creating a bigger problem for the United States down the road. Okay. I'm not saying that the United States in this way is, is, is fixing its problems, but this is the first step to fixing the problem. You have to get control of your own monetary policy before you can start fixing monetary and fiscal policy. You can't fix either of those things if you don't control them. It's just that simple. I mean, that's the order, order of, I say this all the time, order of operations matters. Yes. The United States is in trouble financially. No argument. Just because you identified that doesn't mean that it's gonna that that it has to happen first. Like that's just dumb. And I argue this people, I argue this with people all the time who just want to go money printing bad gold blah. And I'm one of those guys. Like I've always been one of those guys. And I agree with you. Eventually, sure, if we don't fix our fiscal house, we're gonna go busto just like everybody else is. And that the Fed's a Ponzi scheme and all the rest of it, sure. But it's the biggest Ponzi scheme. And if you're the biggest Ponzi scheme and you control the liquidity tap, guess what? You can bankrupt all the other Ponzi schemes first. Let's take a short break for this important message. 
Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. How could I think about with a girl like you? If you don't believe me, go look at the price of Bitcoin. Not to say that Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme, but DeFi and all the leverage built on Bitcoin was a Ponzi scheme. And they blew them all up in, in like, what, three months? Well, guess what? They're blowing up the European Union's Ponzi scheme of transferring money around on each other's member, member central bank balance sheets. The same thing. There's no market for European debt. None. Zero. They've destroyed it. No one wants a, an Italian 10-year BTP. Four percent, three and a half percent, maybe a thirteen percent, maybe a twenty-three percent, but not a three percent. But Lagarde can't afford it to be five percent. So the order of operations matters. Who's going to fall in what order is what matters. Okay, and if you don't want to, and if you don't care about any of that, great. Buy gold, stick it under a rock, and wait ten years. But don't <laughs> comment between now and then because you don't know what you're talking about. Because you're not paying attention to what's actually happening. And I don't mean that to be rude or anything else. I'm like, no, dude, go live your life. Stop worrying about this. Stop trying to be right in public about something you're, you're obviously not caring about the details of. I care about the details. That's why I talk about it. My people want to know about the details because, hell, I got people who are actively trading these markets. I've got hedge fund managers and, and, and bank analysts and and, and risk assessors and all that. I've got people who just want to know what to do. But the average retail investor, like if you don't care about any of this stuff, ignore it. If you're, if you're interested, great. But if you're not interested, if you, if you listen to me and, and give my arguments credence, and then I'll tell you what to do with your money based on who you are. And if you're a retail guy who wants to understand what's happening, but doesn't want to take it, it doesn't believe any of this is actionable information, grant. Your big TLDR, your big takeaway here is the Federal Reserve is trying to take down Davos. I was talking to a guy the other day, literally. I was talking to a guy over in Italy yesterday. It was the other day. It was literally yesterday. And from, and he's, you know, and he's a guy who's traded, you know, been in the pits and has high level contacts within the European banking system. He's like, oh, by the way, Putin and the Fed are working together to destroy the ECB, which is what I've been saying but I've been saying it like, well, you know, the Fed's trying to save themselves and Putin's trying to save Russia. And the guy caught in the middle is Europe. You know, they're, they're screwed. They're, they're, they're done. And I'm like, any possible coordination between them is, you know, coincidental, not conspiracy. 
And he's literally telling me, oh, no, they're actually doing it. They're actually coordinating policy now to destroy the Europeans because they have to in order to avoid literal nuclear war. Because that's where this leads if these people get in to stay in control. Your thesis is not by any means far fetched because it's just based on self interest and self preservation. Right. And I did actually go back before we talked and watch that. What was it last December when all the central bankers were together and Lagarde asks him if he's going to inflate to fight global warming or whatever the climate change? I can't remember right. what, what term they used. And here's the thing with Powell like, you could read that in a vacuum as like, boy, he really gave her the middle finger. Right. But he's so boring all the time. That it's hard to tell. Like, that's just the way he is. But that's like one piece of evidence. There's many of them. Like- yeah, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to touch on is when you say time bomb, I guess what I'm thinking ahead to is not disputing what you're saying at all. But at whatever point that the Fed does want to inflate, they could release literally three or four trillion dollars worth of money without even a policy decision by just stopping what they're doing in the repo markets. And then, of course, the banks have these excess reserves. They can do what they want with any time. Yeah, I've been banging the interest on excess reserve thing since 2008. Now, I wasn't a public figure back in 2008. I wasn't writing publicly, but I remember Gary North, you know, know, God rest his soul, talking about Bernanke and two those 2009 talking about Bernanke's QE and all of this stuff, writing at Lou Rockwell and on his website saying, look, Bernanke is going to sterilize it all. It's going to show up as interest on excess as on interest, interest on excess reserves, IOER. None of this is going to cause inflation because the money's not going to circulate. M2 money velocity is still going to fall. This is what's going to happen. And everybody was screaming, oh, my God, the Fed's taking all this stuff on the balance sheet. And the dogs and cats living together. The whole thing's going to explode. I'm like, no, it's not. Peter Schiff was like, oh, my God, inflation. Oh, my God, inflation. And Harry Dent's over there going, oh, my God, deflation. Oh, my God, deflation. And I'm like, none of that's going to happen. We're going to have a best stagflation, which is what we've had for 14 years. What we had was the birth of the coordinated central bank monetary system, coordinated monetary policy on a global level. The dollar reserve standard ended in 2009. And since then, oh, 2011. And then when the, you know, Bernanke started the process, we had a, we had a small, like two year transition period where the Fed was just basically funding everything. And then what broke the gold bull market in 2011 was the announcement of a of, of coordinated central bank policy amongst the seven major central banks, opening up a $500 billion swap line to ensure that everybody had enough liquidity in every, everybody else's currencies. And that calmed the markets down. And that ended the gold bull market. It ended because that's what the market wanted. The market wanted somebody to stand up as a grown-up and go, look, backstop all of this. That you're the central banks, do something about this. Angela Merkel at that, you know, two months later, we, you know, she solved the Greek debt crisis in October or November of that year. Remember, there was, you know, we were all we were all expecting Brexit back then. Like, so this is all going on. And I remember I didn't get hired by Newsmax until 2013. But I remember going to a conference in 2013, 2014. I remember it was in 2014, I think 2014, 2015, we had a conference. And I'm sitting there listening to the panel, and there's you know, a whole bunch of gold bugs and you know, you know, people like me. And I'm sitting there listening to them talk, and they're all like, we don't understand why the inflation hasn't shown up. And I turned to my friend who I went to the conference where I brought to the conference with me, and I on a cocktail napkin literally wrote four letters, I-O-E-R, and handed it to her because we were trying to be polite while listening to other people speak. And I said, that's why. 
And she looked at me and the person I was talking to, it's a very wealthy woman. She's like, huh? And she nodded and she went, oh, okay. And then everybody, and we just moved on. And she understood at this point that you weren't going to get gold prices moving. You weren't going to have any of this stuff happen until the Fed finally let all that money circulate. And they're not going to let it circulate until they absolutely have to, until there's a market for it, or they can just, they can get rid of it all by shrinking their balance sheet and then taking the money out of the, and then and taking that money out of circulation, out of potential circulation. And that's what they want to do. And that's what Powell has been adamant about wanting to shrink its balance sheet shrink the, the 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 domestic money supply and all of that. And, you know, and I, I've thought about this from multiple multitude of angles. I've gone through the Fed's 8.4.1 weekly report and charted it as currency as a function of total assets. I've done all of this. I got a huge freaking 8.4.1 spreadsheet that's 15 years old that I've been doing this stuff with. And for my own edification, 15 years worth of data, and I've gone through it all. And I'm like, it's really not that complicated. It's really just as, as simple as what Gary North said back in 2009. Sterilize the QE. They're going to pay the banks. To, they're going to recapitalize the banks over time through interest on excess reserves. That's how they're going to do it. And they're going to make us all pay for it through taxes. And that's what they did. And that's where we are. And now, they're, and now they're going to use that same system to extricate the United States from the global, you know, from the, the globalist commie takeover. And I'm dead serious when I say it. That Powell is never private equity. Powell was never down with this idea, and he was forced by Trump and Congress to monetize all the money under the CARES Act, and now he's dealing with that. But what they gave him was a whole big pile of money and Treasury bonds to use to destroy Europe with. So, at the risk of having buried the lead, <laughs> we've had in the last week. How many heads of state? We had Johnson resign. We had the Sri Lankan president get chased out of his house and his house set on fire they tried to get draggy they tried to get macron i don't know if japan olaf shoals nuts and sluts with olaf shoals shinzo abe now abe was not running but oh yeah he was that's the cover story but so how does all this relate to what we've talked about with control of bank this is all davos striking back this is all davos getting control of if boris johnson has been we want to reverse Brexit. We want to reverse Trump. We want the UK back as a colony of the EU. Sri Lanka is just the natural, the, the you know, naturally what happened in when you destroy an economy, unbalance an economy through, you know, terrible domestic policy. And then you, you know, do an NGO style takeover and put the commies in charge. It was clearly, Abe, Abe was clearly getting ready to challenge for the for the head of the Liberal Democratic Party. He was removed during COVID for health reasons because he wouldn't lock Japan down, allowed ivermectin to flow, didn't, you know, sent back the vaccines, all of that stuff. Remember this, Abe did all that. And then, you know, he was deposed. So he was talking about making overtures towards being nice with Russia. That's a no-no. Like you've got now at the same time, you have populist uprisings against people like Macron. Draghi in Italy, Mark Root in the Netherlands and others. And that's all off script. So they're, they're core guys they've got issues with. They would like to, and I know that the Germans would really like, and the German Greens would really like to neuter Macron completely so that they would have control over everything. You know that they want to liquidate Italy with Draghi's trying to liquidate Italy and just roll all the, the, the Italian assets up to the German balance sheet. We lost Estonia. Estonia lost their government. 
Bulgaria lost their government. Like, and the euro's a parity to the dollar. And I know that the first time you and I talked, I said, yeah, the euro's going to, to 70 cents. I'm saying it's going to go to 70 cents this year, maybe next year, but it's going there. And, uh, and Powell's going to be the guy that, 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 and Powell on one hand, on one side, Putin on the other. That's what's going to happen. So everybody is like the political stress of these two systems. You see some people having to pay the price politically, and you see other people, you know, other factions fighting back and, you know, trying to shore up their, their, what, you know, their, their board position. And everybody is like, move, counter, move, move, counter, move. So that's, that's what I'm seeing at this point. But you got to identify what, who the factions are. And there are factions within Davos as an Anglo faction, as a European faction. And the Europeans, you know, and this has always been about the Europeans getting control of the, the globalist agenda for Europe and using the UK and the United States as the cannon fodder against China and the Russians. While they look like the victims and that they can try and come out smelling like a rose. Putin said nuts to that. He's like, I'm not, I'm not playing that game anymore. You guys are going down first. And hopefully that will buy us enough time for a political revolution in the United States to get them to back off and the Brits become irrelevant. And so far, Davos has made the Brits really irrelevant, which is good. Sometimes your enemy is your friend. They destroyed the Brits. That's good because British Anglo neoconservatism is a dangerous thing. It's the thing that will lead us to nuclear war. Guys like Mike Pompeo and John Bolton and Boris Johnson and Liz Truss and all those guys, they're all classic neoconservatives, Wolfowitz doctrine, kill the Russians, kill them all, let God sort it out, take their oil, control energy flow around the world. This is the United Kingdom has to be destroyed politically. It has, they need an Oliver Cromwell to show up. And, and they just do. It's time for the year, it's time for the UK. And I fully expect that something like that happens within the next two to three years. And in the United States, the Biden junta needs to be either neutered or removed from office. And Davos is trying to figure out what's the best way to get rid of Biden where they don't lose everything and they leave their people within the GOP in charge of the government after the midterms. That's what they're trying. That's what they're positioning everything for right now. Yeah. Get a Republican majority, but it's really a it's a Davos majority. It's Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are still in control that you don't have. A, you don't have. I mean, like Lauren Boebert and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and that, and that type. I mean, they're not the brightest bulbs in the drawer, like in the, in the array, <laughs> but, you know, their hearts are in the right place. Right. And they'll do and they're wrecking balls. You know, I'd rather that I'd rather that that movement being led by guys like Thomas Massey and Rand Paul, you know, all things considered. But the truth of the matter is, is that another 75 or 80 Marjorie Taylor Greens and Lauren Boeberts in Congress and McConnell and McCarthy have a problem on their hands. So they're trying to limit that damage to the Tea Party like situation, you know, post 2010, right, where John Boehner was able to marginalize the Tea Party because there weren't enough of them. And they're trying to do, they're going to try and play that same game. And I, I know that this time I, 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 I think that things just are way too far gone for them to play that game this time. And they try that. They try that this time in 2022. And I just think the mood in the United States is going to be horrific and they're not going to, they won't, those guys won't even survive their terms. You know what I can't help thinking about? I know you'll get this reference. I hope some of the listeners will, and I'm not just a hundred years old, but Star Trek three. So they're on the planet at the end, Christopher Lloyd's the Klingon. 
And Kirk is there trying to negotiate with him. And he's got Spock convulsing on the ground because he's going through that whole Genesis thing. And he says, well, at least beam the Vulcan up. And Christopher Lloyd says, no. And Kirk says, why not? And Lloyd thinks for a minute, he goes, because you wish it. And (laughs) that's when you talk about people like Lauren Boebert and the people who vote for them. It's like, I I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but I know that anything you want is not in my interest because you wish it. Yeah, no, that's a good, I don't quite remember that scene, but because I haven't watched Star Trek three in forever, but yes, that the basic gist of that is correct. They're like, yeah, I don't have to be smart enough to know why you want that. You're just not getting it because you want it. Right, right, right. And there's a lot of people like that here in the United States right now. And there's a lot of people like that in Europe. And I think we're very close to critical mass in the West. So collectively in the UK. Again, when I say things like the the UK needs to rise up against the government. I mean, I just I just fully believe that they're it's they're very close to an Oliver Cromwell moment. And and, but they don't have a figure like that because Nigel Farage refuses to become that guy. He has just steadfastly refused to become that guy. And, you know, whatever. It's fine if he, you know, either for whatever reason. You know, insert your own reasons here, right? Could be that he's been threatened. Could be that he's a plant. Could be that he's just a, a neocon, you know, foreign policy wise. Could be whatever. That insert your your reason du jour. But Farage would be the only person within British politics who has the capability of rising to that level, other than maybe Jeremy Corbyn. But I would prefer it to be Farage and not the commie, right? We'll see. I mean, yeah, I'd like to see. Farage and Corbyn like, oh, yeah, we don't need to agree on anything else other than we need to get rid of those people, (laughs) right? We need to walk into parliament and just say, you know, y'all have lost your legitimacy, put them all in jail. And we kind of have the same problem here in the United States. Like the stuff that's come out about Hunter Biden in the last 48, 72 hours, you know, from the leaks where 4chan hacked his iCloud account. Yeah, okay, fine. Pull the other leg in place, jingle bells. We know full well that those are that those are very powerful people setting up the treason trial against Joe Biden later this year. When they get rid of him, okay, they're going to give the Republicans the validity to go in after and remove him from office and impeach him and try him for treason for selling the strategic oil reserve to the Chinese through his son that he got a kickback on. Like, if you don't think that you can't see that coming and then everybody like, yes, and then blame the Chinese for this so that we can go to war with them. Like, that's the scenario that Davos is setting up for us. Well, at the same time, we're going to fight to the last Ukrainian over in Russia. And then eventually Davos is going to make us fight against the Chinese to the last American. That's what's coming. Let's say that Powell is successful and Europe implodes, we've got the Russians and a lot of the so-called global South working on one monetary system. What do you think the world looks like in terms of camps? I mean, I guess what I'm thinking is, I don't think Russia's ever coming back. Saudi Arabia doesn't seem like they're on the way out. So what does the world look like even without Davos five years from now? I don't want to go that far out into the future with and and predict anything bigger than you know an electron cloud at this point. Like the probability field is you know, and this and we're not talking about s orbitals at this point. We're talking like freaking f orbitals, which are horrendous, horrendously complex. I hate to to do it. I can't help myself. It's it's the first thing that pops into my head. 
The I don't know what it looks like. I'll be honest with you. I don't think we should be looking that far ahead. I don't think the crystal ball is that is that clear. I really don't. But the other thing I need everybody to 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 understand is we all need to be like hockey goalies. We need to forget about the last shot. We need to look at the next shot. We need to stop worrying about the thing that happened 20 and proving that 9-11 was a thing or proving this or proving, ignore all that stuff. It all happened. History is just a bunch of stuff that people did, right? Right. Not, not to get away. The, the point of this is don't waste your energy trying to prove something that happened in the past, which you don't have. It doesn't matter. It, it happened. Biden's president. Doesn't matter that you know some state supreme court invalidated or Maricopa County invalidated the 2020 election. Who cares? Biden's president. What's he doing? Doesn't matter. So you're right. So what? What does that get you? Oh, I get to be right. Okay, you got to be right. We knew you were right two years ago. I knew you were right on January on, on November 7th. I, I I was under no you know illusion or whatever. The day after the election, I knew exactly what was going on. Like it doesn't matter. What matters is what they're going to do next. Because they're moving on and we got to figure out what's coming down the pike over the course of the next three months so that we can navigate our way through this. Or as I said at the outset, just buy gold and wait it out. Sit on your porch with an adult beverage and, you know, (laughs) your other vice of choice and just wait it out. In my case, it's, you know, a cheap Nicaraguan cigar. Like, you know, I mean, that's serious. Like, this is what we should do. Like, I don't, you know, and then, you know, just stick your money in a certain, you know, and then hope because the reality is, is that if it gets that bad, they're going to steal all your brokerage accounts. They're going to steal your bank accounts. They're going to steal all this stuff. They're going to try and steal every freaking dollar you have that's within the system. So you should have assets outside the system and you should try and, you know, like you only get one life. I'm making a living, living in these people's heads. It's what I've chosen to do. I don't recommend everybody who's not making a living at it spend their time doing it. You only have one life. Go play with your grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not, you know, keep the ultimately keep a balance and, you know, let us all try and let us, let us who are obsessed with this stuff, you know, figure it all out, give you the TLDR so you can go and mow your lawn and, you know, bounce your grandkids on your knee and watch a movie and, you know. Well, let me give you a plug before you go, because I became a a supporting member of your service just because I felt guilty because you're working 90 hours a week and I'm getting all this stuff. And what do you charge? Like $4 a month for for the basics up and $12 a month for the newsletter. Yeah. So folks, I'm getting no commission from Tom for this. No, no. He pays me. (laughs) Yeah, I actually pay him. So go, go check out his, his service at Gold Goats and Guns. It gives you two chart reads a week based on all of this geopolitical stuff and a whole bunch of geopolitical analysis. Uh, you're doing a great job, Tom, and I always appreciate you stopping by. Sure. And, and, and I appreciate, you know, the, the invite as always. And I've had a number of people I've done interviews with, you know, whose shows I've been on, you know, become patrons over time. The community really is bigger than I am. It's become bigger than I am. And don't think that everything that you've heard today has come out of my head because it hasn't. Okay, I'm the guy who synthesizes it. I'm the guy that takes in some of the, the disparate data and goes, oh, that's what that means. And yeah, I've got you know all the experience and everything else, but it's the community. You're building, a, we are building a kind of hive mind of just really fascinating people who are you know helping each other in real time, figure out what's going on. That's all we're trying to do. 
And I mean it sincerely that it's not just leave it to the professionals kind of thing. It's not that at all. It's find the balance within your space of the life that you have and enjoy what you've got because we don't know how long we've got at this point. You know, there are some people who are in power who honestly think like, yeah, we can win a nuclear war. Bracket for that and then decide how much, you know, how full your liquor cabinet is. <laughs> I was trying to look on the bright side, but you really did. No, have I to know, go but there. I think it's, I, so do I. I mean, everything I write is another way of me saying, I don't want this to happen. Every interview that I do is another way to try and explain to another group of people or small, a bigger group of people, look, this, these are the stakes. What are we going to do about it? Because it's down to us at this point. What are we going to do about it? And if, you know, and if we're not willing to, to look at it from that, you know, to do everything we can up to a point, you know, what you can within your context, my context is I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. And I hope to reach as many people as possible and, you know, try and get them the best information I can and remain humble while doing it, which is very difficult by the way, but the markets are really good at humbling yourself. <laughs> it's not that hard. Yeah. I know just enough to lose my shirt. That's what I always say. <laughs> I guess every time I thought I've learned something, I, you know, I'm no, I'm, I, and FYI guys, I don't trade. I don't talk my book. Like I don't, I, I, you know, I don't. And, and there's a, a number of reasons for that is because I'm actually really bad at it. I'm really good at analyzing this stuff, but I'm not, I'm not good at acting on it in the moment because, you know, as dispassionate as I can be at times, no, really, I'm just like, we're all are a massive anxiety and emotions and, and all the rest of it. And it's very, very difficult to master. So there's, there's a reason why some people are traders and some people are analysts. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of nervous system in it as well as brains. It's tremendously. I know one guy that was real successful at it. And he said, that's a lot more than brains is, can you control your emotions? And the market wants to make you do the dumbest thing every day. Yep. And some people are built for that. And some people aren't. Right. Right. Now, some people can be, you know, I could be the guy standing over his shoulder going, yeah, as long as my money's not on the table, like, yeah, I have no emotion. Like, yeah. You should probably sell there. But in the moment when it's me in the seat, the sale never happens. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. So it is what it is. Tom, as always, it was a, it was a blast. I enjoyed it. Yep. Same here. Talk to you soon. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. On Friday, I will have Keith Knight with me to talk about his excellent new book, The Voluntarist Handbook. Don't forget, if you haven't already, check out TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support to find out all the ways that you can support the show on my Substack at my Patreon and otherwise. And thank you to all the new supporters that joined over the past few days. I very much appreciate it. And as always, if you like the music that you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.